In order for shame to be rendered powerless in our lives, we must be witnessed. We must be seen. Your gifting is going to seem like things that are just very obvious. They're going to seem like, well, everybody can be this welcoming. Everybody can see that moment where I just saw it. We're going to feel like anybody could do it. And that's what makes it your gifting. Watch how people avoid the face of somebody in need or asking who makes you uncomfortable. Every one of those faces reveal God. We have to remember our past and recount the things that God has done for us. And then that gives us faith to keep going to where he wants us to be. Guys, welcome back to the Ensigns Podcast. I'm Blaine. And I'm Sam Eldridge. And my first question for today is just one to ten. How are you? Ten. On what scale? <laughs> uh, uh, feeling incredibly uh, blessed and oh, rested. And You're an Instagram influencer now. Oh, yeah. There's just a lot of positivity going on. So every once in a while, you're going to post like a real vulnerable post that mm. makes everybody... But it's just about like the you. burden of how beautiful I am. <laughs> and agreed to limp along with you for another year. Wow. Yeah. This is an aside, but... The whole thing so Have you far? heard Justin Bieber's song about what it's like when you have it all and no one to call and his whole life of what it's like to be a pop star? What's that song called? I don't know. Probably, what if you had it all and no one to call? That's what I would call it. <laughs> I was listening to it and I was like, man, the world... Is a bad deal because the song provokes a sympathetic response. Like, oh man, that must have been so hard. We're so sorry. We've always been there for you. Whereas I was thinking of how the kingdom response is so much better of like, hmm. actually, uh, no, you have been a dang mess on and off throughout your life. We had to make but, a, a PG version episode today. <laughs> You've been a darn tootin' mess. Uh, but actually, the whole time, I've let Jesus do what he wants and cover your shortcomings. So, always seeing you as a brother. And we. Are you talking about Justin Bieber still? Rum, pub, 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 pub. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> today, we are here to talk about black belt level relational skills because we're so awesome at relating. Uh-huh. All our mistakes are behind us. I'm glad that you can say that with a smile on your face. I have exactly no the irony. friendships that I want. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's the thing is we started having a conversation about a podcast around friendships because it's a topic that comes up all the time. And to to swagger into a podcast like that and have almost the audacity to say, hey, we're going to tell you guys how to do it right. I'm 31. I have no friends left over from college, no friends left over from high school. I have friends that predate both those seasons and friends since those seasons. But you know, I kind of have lots of excuses for why I don't have friends from those uh, times in my life. But already I feel disqualified to have any conversation around, here are the five tips to a lasting friendship. It's more like, oh, um, it's messy. And what I've seen is that there can be... Uh, almost decades of your life that just get amputated in terms of all of those relationships and you have to begin again. So roll the outro. That's not what we're doing today. No, that's true though. I feel like any number of people could look at me in the chair and go, you? You're going to talk about friendship? I'd be like, ah, 
but young Badawan, the one who is forgiven much, loves much. <laughs> so <laughs> I, uh, I'm talking about friendship from the bottom <laughs> in terms of <laughs> yes, things um, that would have made it go better mm, before, mm-hmm. and I'm learning to apply slowly now. And sons, everybody. <laughs> uh, there are a few points that we want to talk about. Where do you want to start? I feel like Fitz, if we were one planning feels this like episode. No, you said we can't one. start there. We have to start with these things. I did not say that. You thought it. Nope. It was what was in your intonation. The key to this business <laughs> is personal relationships. And the keys to personal relationships is communication. Where would you like to start? Oh, um, you know, it really feels like the basic thing that nobody could mess up was the thing that you wanted to bring today, you know? My two things are oh. basic and no one could mess them up. But that's not how you learn them, is it? Okay. Number one, all the way back in the Jeff Vanderstel episode, he said this thing when we asked, what will destroy a community? Sometimes it's hard to do things. It can be easier to not do things. What should we avoid? And he said, what will tank your community immediately is gossip. And I was like, okay, well, that's easy. I don't do that. So on to the next thing. Only to discover that gossip is a greasy concept. It's a slippery animal. And another way of putting it, which is new for us, something that we've developed this year, is understanding that you and your closest people, whether you're, they are your siblings and you have a close relationship, whether they are your long-term close friends, whether they are the people you've been leading with and have built a relationship, should have— Dare I say coworkers? Coworkers, for sure. unfortunately, you spend a lot of your life with those people. Should adopt— a maybe, maybe mutual, it's fortunately. <laughs> a mutual code of silence. Mm, you never talk to each other. You never talk about the other person, about someone else, unless they are there. And you need to have straight talk. Because this thing can happen that I've identified in my close relationships where... What will start as real, loving check-ins. You know, how's Tony? And I'll go, Tony's doing good. I think this thing. And and I could even include, let's say this is in a church leadership situation. Hypothetically. I should go, and we should remember to check in with him on this thing. We're not talking about Anthony. No. (laughs) If you call Anthony Tony to his face, he'll take out a... Cold steel folding knife. I just know that... And <clears throat> stick it in, yeah. We do try to um, protect some identities in stories where we're cheering uh, actual You know who people. I was actually thinking of? Uh, oh, yeah. Tell me. Uh, the Tony who used to live over on Pope's Valley. Yeah, yeah. Remember him? Uh-huh. I just... I thought of... Ooh, he's, who's he's a, an electrician now. Who's a person that exists that I could use his name? He's finished craftsman school. That's awesome. Trade school, yeah. Good for him. Journeyman. He's doing good, was the example. How's Tony? I'm going to go with this one. He's good. We should check in with him on this thing. Oh, yeah? Why? You know what? We can probably catch up on that later. Boom. Full stop. Because it's really easy to cross the line from of loving note sharing into connecting around a person in a way that's bad. You're nodding, so I know you agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is one that 
I remember back in my early college days, there was a guy who I really admired because he never spoke a negative word about somebody else at a time where like social interactions is essentially a, a human pyramid that you have to crawl over somebody else in order to get higher. And mocking someone or saying how somebody else wasn't as good as you or they're bad at something was the easy way to do it. And so when he literally never said a negative word about somebody, like it was so confusing. I was disoriented by it because he was the only one that I knew that did that. And it was also really inviting. It was like, oh, I can be, I know I can be around you and that you aren't going to be tearing me down after the fact. I also had a group of people who had the opposite experience with walk into a room and you know what this is like when you're talking like full, full gas gossip, like, oh, and the person's like this. And can you believe what they were doing that the other day? And oh my gosh, they're so draining. I just wish they would stop coming to this. If you really sit with it after the fact, I think you, I've certainly felt unsafe with those people because what's to say that they're not going to do the exact same thing about you now that you're not in the room? And the only way to stay safe is to continue being in and continue to push people out. So you can see how like full gas gossip is super toxic and totally community destroying and totally friendship destroying. And like, it's just, so you think if you're not doing that, then surely you're fine. But you're indicating that there's the, the slippery version that happens. gossip. I had half gas this morning. <laughs> yes, it's easy to identify in its extreme form, but it's easier to participate in in its milder forms. What that can look like is, I'm going to make up another name, Crabshaw. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've actually talked about Crabshaw before. Good old Crabshack, Rabshab, my old friend. And Bendy Benz. <laughs> Oh, I know you're referencing that. <laughs> uh, <There> you go. <laughs> so it's easy to participate in, in these less severe ways where you go, hey, I was, with, I was with Crab Shack last night. Oh, awesome. Yeah, poor guy. Man, he, he seems like he's in a really hard season. Be like, uh-oh, you're getting close to the edge where it can simply help to set a pretty hard line, especially on the relations that are important to you. Though this would be a good skill to apply everywhere and to be like, wait a second. You don't talk about people at all, even barely in positive terms, because I have witnessed and participated in the way that positive term talking can become this other weird social negotiation of status between the people who are present. Mm -hmm. Oh man, I just love Davidicus, man, it is hilarious. We were together and this happened and it's like, wait, why are you triangulating relationship with a person who's not there? And when you set this norm, people eventually respond to it very quickly. And I, you know, some of my friends do this hard and fast with Faye. They'll stop participating or I'll ask a question, but talk to that, talk to him. Wait, what are you, do you have a concern about yourself that I can address with you? And you and I have experienced this recently, where I had what I knew was a hard conversation coming up. And it was tempting for me to talk about Davidicus and go, mm. hey, I'm going to talk to Davidicus today, and I'm nervous that he'll. And what you helped in that conversation do was go, so what are you afraid of? With like I as the pronoun, I'm like, I'm concerned that right. 
I will not be heard. Right. And that was a fine conversation to have because it was about me. Yeah. I'm thinking about all the examples of my brother-in-law, the eldest, is a total comedian. Like he's just, he's he's a big personality and a lot of fun to be around. And this is to that positive thing of stories about him come up a lot when we're together as a group. And it's not tearing him down, so it doesn't feel like gossiping. It doesn't feel like, oh, okay, I wish he would do this or that, or this really bugs me. They literally just start telling stories about him when he's not there. And it also feels weird, right? Like you were naming that in a family setting, no one's trying to jockey for position in like a social structure. But what I've begun to notice is it's a substitution for actual relationship with the people in the room. You spend all that time talking about somebody else and that time they did this or that how funny that was and it can feel like connecting but like the, the conversation ends you go your own ways and I don't actually know the people in that room anymore. We didn't we didn't have anything new added to our relationship. We had like almost a television viewing experience about somebody else. And so it was this weird oh wasn't that funny when this happened and I love reminiscing. I love sharing memories but particularly with people who also were there. Were there, exactly. Otherwise, I mean, somebody else sharing a memory of a time they did a thing, that's a doorway into conversation. That can't be the entire conversation. Otherwise, it's like, oh, that's cool. You did that thing and you climbed that place and you ate that thing with those people. Um, Do you want to hear about something I did? And then at that point, you're just like showing off Pokemon cards back and forth. Like, that's just, it's fine. It doesn't actually go anywhere. Right, so I love the story you're telling about the if someone's coming to you with a conversation about somebody else, Daviticus in your case, which I think is the most absurd. Your, your names are just getting more and more bizarre. Um, let's bring it back to the normal ones. Hyberkite Wabtoddle. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Hyberkite. Um, and I love that. Like there's an invitation in those moments to to bring it back to the eye and to bring it to the the conversation that's going on behind the scenes and almost just go like, what's the question behind the question? Not that every interaction needs to be like this uh, big brain, we got to get right down to the therapy or like this big confrontational, but you will notice where you feel safe in relationship are in those relationships where you know they're not going to be talking about you behind your back. They're not going to be trying to solve you. They're not carrying hidden cards about you behind your back. I think of the story in the Voyage of the Dawn Treader where Lucy goes on to the island of the truffle pods and... Ramondu's island. Goes up. They've turned themselves invisible and she needs to find the spell to bring them back to be be visible again. They're they're like, they'd rather be uglified than be invisible at this point. (laughs) Um, And she goes through this book of spells and she gets to one where it's like, you can view your friends having a conversation. And she does. And she watches two friends have a conversation about her on the train and it ruins the friendship. And Aslan comes and it's like, you didn't need to see that. And you could have actually had a good relationship with them if you hadn't seen them have this about you. And it broke something. And I think that there's a lesser degree of breaking that can happen when you are afraid that that's going on behind the scenes. So if you just assume, I know these guys are probably talking about me, like you're going to be defensive, you're not going to feel safe, and the potential for more is going to feel limited by those things of like, but what do they really think? Exactly. So make it explicit. We had a conversation recently with a shared friend who was in this 
you know, inner circle and kind of invited them to go, we would like to invite you into our relational code of silence. This is what we mean. We do not talk about each other if the person's not around. Not in the room. Yeah, not, 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 not a part of the conversation. Yeah. And with what should be obvious but needs to be stated, unless you are in danger or I am in danger, please have a strategy conversation about me. But I trust you guys to know when there's a real threat and when you're just picking apart my flaws. And so to go, if I'm tanking, share notes, talk, make a plan, please. But if I'm my normal mixed bag, we can kind of keep working that out in real time. (laughs) And the relief that it is, is to know there's a ring of immediate relationships, or I have put it this way, where I know that no one has more information than me about how my friends feel about me. Because you named that fear of, what if they don't actually like me? What if they don't? What if I have some flaw that they are just sh- laughing about when I'm not around? And oh, to, yeah, it's the deep fear, right? Like, right. But, is everybody else hanging out without you and mocking you? And to have you, know, you guys go, not if, but when. When there are those things to name, you will be present. So mm-hmm. you can just know that uh, you really do have the same picture of our relationship that everyone else has. It is hugely relieving for your inner circle. And it's the first thing that we're sharing today because it's the one that we did perfectly all along. All our and lives. I never had, I mean, I mentioned just how disorienting it was to meet somebody who never did it. I was like, how did you not come into this world gossiping like the rest of us? The second thing I want to throw out there today um, is this conversation, this this area um, that Susie and I have been thinking about a lot. And, well, there's a couple of those too. We talk every now and then, I guess. Um, one is that there, there should be a variety to your relationship. That feels obvious, but... What I mean by that is we, we tend to think about it in the negatives. We tend to think about it as like, well, you shouldn't always just grab yours together. Your friendship shouldn't just be about watching the game and that's all it is. And that's true, but that's just like one sliver of this pie. I think we've experienced it recently over the last couple of years of there are some people in our world who we really love, but they just go deep. They can only live at the really like intense conversations or the intense spiritual experiences. And they're the kind of people, if you made an off-color joke too, they'd be really uninterested, thrown, and, and wondering like how we can bring it back to what they were already talking about. And that to me, I was, I've been experiencing that as a somehow like a sanctified one dimension. And... It's not enjoyable to be around. So like what I'm throwing into this is the, um, I've wanted to have eyes to, to see what the relationship needs in a moment. And that really has like a posture of, we're bringing something to the table and it's part of my role to, how are you right now? Are you well? In which case, great, let's, let's go where you want to go. Let's have a conversation. Let's tell some jokes. Let's go like, ask what you've been up to. And I, be able to do what feels to me like this full circle that is 
uh, depth and personality and complexity. I look at the character of God in creation, God in the Bible, the personality of Jesus and go, sometimes you're playful, sometimes you're intense, sometimes you need space, sometimes you engage the crowds, like there's there's a blend. And I want to be able to bring that and engage that. And so it, it works for the people that are like always having super intense conversations. And I'm like, all I want with you is to be able to make some jokes and talk about what you've been reading lately and not have you bring it back to Jesus for five seconds. And then for my friends who only want to talk about the latest cocktail they've been making and how their dog is doing, it's driving me equally as crazy that we can't go to what's going on beneath the surface, what has God been doing in your life. And there's there's almost, I would say, that I experience an equal failing, though I think as a society, as a Christendom, we might be like, well, it's better to be talking about Jesus than it is to be talking about your dog. But to me, there's a there's an atrophy of yourself and of relationship that happens in all those areas that don't get used. And and if all it is, is you can only talk with this person about the hymns, you're not going to actually have a lasting relationship or an enjoyable relationship if you can't be talking about nature, what it's been like to bake bread and where your sorrows have been if it's just that one sliver. So yeah, that's something else I'm throwing into this space of, I'm not trying to now judge somebody and see like, well, how complex are they? Or are they able to do these things? I see it as like an invitation that when you walk into a space, what's the space missing? And what what do you want to line up with? How do, how do you want to match the other person where they are? And also, I kind of like being a bit of an antagonist. And if we're just hanging out in one area, I like pushing into the other and seeing like, can you go there? Is there complexity to you? Can we go and like... Uh, anyway, there's there's more there, but I want to give you space before I keep railing here. <laughs> no, it's a key point. I'm thinking as you're talking that it's not, in my experience, it's not always easy to tell what's needed. And <laughs> no, it's it's simple in one sense to say relationships need variety. Your heart has the ability to do many different things. That should be reflected in your relationships. Mm. Play, intimacy, uh, shared work, low-key time, and go, yeah. And, man, it, it sometimes what I was noticing is that it takes a little bit of shared reflection to figure that out. Totally. And I would say, man, what month was it? Back in October, some of our friends were talking and we went, hey, we haven't actually made it a subject conversation recently to go, what do we need? How are folks doing? What is it? And it was play. Play was the need that emerged. And so we went, you know what we're going to do? Our norm is for a hangout is come over, open a beer, sit down and talk. And I know that for you know, for example, I'm not really a board game person. And so when I go over to a game family, like you and Susie, and you're like, let's take out a game, it's always a little bit shocking. I go, okay. 
are you sure you don't just want to relax in these chairs and have four hours of conversation? Okay, no, this would be good. So that gets reflected, obviously, in my social circles. And we went, what is the opposite of that? And we thought, let's throw ourselves in like a high school park party. Like, what did we do back in the day to have fun? And it it was capture the flag and slacklining and catch the tail and these sort of rowdy, you know, infection tag, or there's different names for it, with glow sticks at the park. So we had a bunch of adults go play games that are youth group games, pretty much. Yeah. And it was so fun and made everybody feel closer and kind of set the tone for the next couple months where there was, you know, there was this bonding Mm -hmm. experience because (laughs) it wasn't like, you need to go have a bonding experience. It's more like when you relate in a way that you normally don't, you'll find it to be really bonding because you're connecting with another part of your being. And it, but we're talking playing tag with glow sticks in the neighborhood park nearby. It was just super fun. Right. Yeah. No, I, I love all of this. And it, it ends up being like the better you know someone, the, the more time you've put in for a relationship, the more that this is actually just a doorway into conversation. I've got a couple of friends who I've known for a long time. And when I sit down with them, also young dads, like the conversation begins with what you've been doing a lot lately. It begins with how are things in that whole world. But you wouldn't want to stay there, right? Like that's the, I live in this space. I live in this world. I don't want to just be thinking about what it's like to make dinner, clean up dinner, interact with kids, feel like I'm failing as a dad, feel like I did okay today, feel like I'm failing as a husband, feel like I'm okay as a husband today because I didn't totally make her cry for, I don't know, another week. And That's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty, <laughs> super good. But if the conversation just stayed there, I think we would leave feeling and have left feeling going like a lack of release and relief that relationship brings. And so the times where we begin there, but then it goes to like, what have you been missing? Or what's, what is all of this stuff seeming to keep you from? Or what's going on beneath the surface? Or if it does feel like you're in this heaviness, begin asking questions of like, what, what, like, what is bringing joy these days? They're hanging out in one area. It just begins to be data. Like, oh, they're talking a lot about stress and pressure and the routine. And so to that, I want to hear about those things. And then I want to like bring the pinprick to burst it, which is questions in the opposite direction of what's the last vacation that you took and what are you, what are you dreaming about these days? And that feels very disruptive. It's going across the grain and it's very intentional. It is like this, let's go find another dimension and pull you back into more wholeheartedness. Excellent idea. Prick your friends. (laughs) I mean, you can literally. I wouldn't totally recommend it. All right, next point. When we were praying over this year, way back, it was actually in December though, so a year ago, we were going through that how to ask how to discern about your year sheet that we actually did a podcast on. We posted the questions and yeah, what yeah. am I called to, and then what warfare is set against it, what in my flesh is set against it, and then what in the world is set against it. What in the world? What in, what? The, world <laughs> what in the world is set against it? 
what in the world in uh, the world flesh and devil sense? Like the yeah, there's a ransom to heart podcast series, well, the heart podcast series on the world. And when I I was like, what in what in my flesh is set against what I'm called to in this season? What I heard was what it costs you to bear with in-process people. Mm. And this is, this is, for me, relational black belt territory. Maybe it's, maybe it's obvious to other people. But I would kind of frame it this way at the end of this year and go, relationship is perhaps Jesus' main strategy to restore people. So when you get close to a person and you get through the honeymoon phase, you soon find that all their shortcomings hurt you personally. And instead of just being mad and hurt, there's an opportunity to view that as on track and a good sign because you are going to participate in that person's restoration, but it doesn't happen at a distance. It happens up close when you start to experience their shit. Yeah, if only I could find the person who wasn't in process and just have a great relationship where they help me with all my things. I think about all the people that I've known um, where the things about them that remind me of my failures are the things that rub the most. Like they may be in process and they're wrestling through their anger or they get really short with people or they seem a little bit odd in certain social situations. And those things drive me crazy about that person. I'm thinking about a particular uh, roommate from 10 years ago. and it, Fav Cashian. <laughs> yes. Um, and Fav reminded me of myself in the ways that I do those things. And I wanted to smother them out of him. Like they, they irritated me so much. And I think as I, as I actually sat with it, it was like, oh, because they're things that I do and I don't like being reminded of it. I don't like having that mirror held up and I don't like that I can't solve them for him and not therefore not be reminded about them of myself. And so to that piece again of like his being in process and reflecting something of my being in process actually was an invitation into more for me. But I often don't want that invitation. I often just want it to be like, nope, I don't want, it's messy relationship. Can it just make me feel all sorts of frustrated and incomplete and angry? And I don't want to feel those things. I want to feel good. I want to feel relaxed. I want to feel seen. I want to feel encouraged. And it's like, yeah, well, back to that whole uh, picture piece that you were just talking about three minutes ago, Sam. Like, yeah. Seriously. This one's a two-parter because it comes with Blaine's Reflections out of 2020 on two strategies. What do you do when somebody's shortcomings, flesh, in-processedness affects you directly? And here's the pro-level skill that I wish I had at the beginning of the year. And it works like this. There will be issues that I need to resolve with God before I go to the person. Because if I bring someone a hurt that I haven't engaged or in some way dealt with, they'll feel that I'm there to get something from them, that I'm putting them 
under the weight of indebtedness. And people do not like this state. They will react against it. And, and so I had, it wasn't 2020, it was 2019. I had two different conversations, both with close friends, that went totally different ways. And the first one tanked, and I couldn't tell why. But it leveled off, and we, oh, rocky landing, and we were good. But then later, we had to circle back to it. And the reason that it tanked is because I was hurt by a way a person responded in a conversation. And I basically came to them, thought I was doing a great thing, and was like, that was kind of crazy what you did. Mm. Uh, nice. Hey, I, bingo, bingo, boingo, you are crazy. Right? And it, so it pricks fear, defensiveness. They know they're not safe. When people do this to me, I am not friendly in response. And no. uh, none of us are. When it... After the fact, because of a different situation, where I, re- I was like, oh, if I could do that one again, what I would do first is I would go, why did that hurt? Mm. And I'm like, well, actually, it's because I view this person as kind of a leader who I would like to be able to rely on. So when they fail or when they get it wrong, I feel uncovered and exposed because the leader's not doing their job. And what I had to do is go, and in fact, I'm disappointed by all leaders, so what do I do with that? And I really have, it sounds <laughs> canned, it's not to go, when I identified with hurt, I had to push in and go, Jesus, I really need to experience the reality that you are the leader who does not let me down, so I don't need to demand my that my other leaders don't let me down. I can have I can be more flexible with them because you don't renege on your job. And having done that, I could have come in and gone, "Hey, in that conversation, uh you seemed really defensive when this happened." And if they had reacted and gone like and and if they had pushed back, I could have really uh, Ben's often response and go, yeah, yeah, no, I'm fine. I'm not here because I'm mad. I want, I want to know why that was triggering for you. And suddenly, man, when, when I stop demanding that people repent, they tend to voluntarily do it and go, mm. yeah, well, you know, sometimes when this thing happens, I can really do this and go, yeah, I can. Me too. Why? And then we get in. And then at the end, when I do it that way, it doesn't have to. But it more often than not includes, uh, wow, I can see that I've done that to you too. I'm sorry. I can be like, I forgive you. I actually already forgave you. Um, but thank you. Um, I'm here with you. And to go, and the relational skill is when your friends hurt you, it won't work to go to them and demand that they do better next time. They won't do better. If you want them to be different, you have to agree to partner with God in their restoration, which means inviting God into the ways that your friends hurt you sometimes very deeply. Yeah, this is a whole other topic I've been just wanting to give concisely and clearly, but it's like the don't go chasing symptoms mandate of someone's behavior, someone's addiction, someone's interaction, someone's failure of you. 
Like if you want to go chasing symptoms, you will chase your tail all day long and you will never actually get to the root of the behavior, the root of the pain, the root of the addiction. And so when you're having a conversation with a friend in that case, if you're going, go do better, never fail me this way again, it's like uh, you're missing that what all you're doing is behavior modification. You're not actually getting to the root of where that was coming from. Are they acting out of fear? Are they acting out of brokenness? Are acting out of their story? And then as you begin to know more of someone's story, your interactions with them totally change because you'd be sitting in a room going, oh, I know what just happened. Like they right now don't feel seen. Therefore, they're reacting this way. And then you stop being as like a bunch of just atoms reacting off of each other. You begin to be human beings who go, I know you. I know why you're reacting this way. And even in the moment, you can call people back to like, hey, you are seen, you are well. And you're not actually even speaking to the thing they just said, but you'll see them go like, oh, right, okay. And it's you get to ground each other back into the deeper truths. Man, it's that whole the kindness of God leads to repentance, right? Which is, if I blow it and someone comes to me to make me pay for it, I will fight that person. Right. If or I you'll die blow it and a person comes to me and is like uh and and brings it up but i can tell they really are okay they've resolved the issue for themselves suddenly i really want to talk about it and i want to change and i go man uh your close friendships you will see eventually some of the deepest things in people which cost the people who are close to them the most. The things that run deepest in me create the most problems for my friends. <laughs> when Dang. they relate with me long term, they get to be exposed to those things and how they engage mm. them sometimes will set the timeline for my change. And it was I've experienced this personally where several years ago, I did have a friend who had I who had rightly identified the thing in me that never wants to be wrong. But he was not happy when he brought it. And it was not a fun conversation. And all it did was reinforce the script of flawed people are my main problem. Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, I may have some small issues, but that person's issues clearly are worse than mine, and that's what makes my life hard. Fast forward two, three years, and I'm sitting, you know, I'm sitting in a chair with a therapist, actually talking about the same thing. But the context is so different where this person is that the therapist has no horse in the race and feels like sympathetic to, oh man, yeah, that does stuff. What is in it for you? And I'm able to unpack why without having to pay the debt first. And I actually changed, and I actually became a better friend. Mm. So it is a little bit of, well, you know, we can say that the self-serving motive doesn't have to be completely off the table because you're right when you want uh, your friends to be doing well so that you can have great friendships. But the way to get that, the way into that is the surprising part. Mm. 